Group. Blog Talk Radio. This is All About Wine, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009. Featuring winemaker, solar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Ron. Basically what we're trying to do on the program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some some neat people on the program. I I just, I I love that. Questions and comments. During the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. Yay! All right, thank you, Bessie. Thank you. All right, very good. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. Um, welcome to All About Wine. This is June the seventeenth, twenty twenty-one, seven o one p.m. Uh, Seventy-nine degrees Fahrenheit, rain, and. Let's see what else. That's it. Uh, so, uh, show. Thank you for calling. Good night. Thanks. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, we got uh, we got a guest coming up tonight here, uh, Ramon Escobar from uh, Shoefly Imports, and he's going to talk to us about his history and Bolivian wines. He that's what the import is more than anything. It was Bolivian wines. And so this should be interesting. I like shoe mentioned it. Shoe fly. You said C H O O was how it's pronounced, which is chew. Q. Yeah, you're, you're right. You're right. Chew fly, not shoe. Q. Q fly. We were talking about it. I wonder how you pronounce it. And you came up with the you found it on a site somewhere and it was C H O O fly and uh i thought hey, that's chew and then we get on there and it's a totally different thing <laughs> yeah yeah chew fly yeah mm-hmm. and the emphasis is on the fly uh so oh. that's 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 good let's see where am i geez i'm maybe he's calling and we can find out for he... sure yeah uh, i have no idea uh, it's like a 20-digit phone number here. Hold on a second. <laughs> or is he calling? You know, geez. Five, two, five, oh, my gosh. He must be calling from a, another country. Well, why don't we just bring him on and find out? Uh, this is. We'll bring him on. <laughs> yeah. Be surprised together. <laughs> all right. Hey, Ramon, welcome hey, to All About Wine. Hey, how's it going? Going can great, you hear me well? Man. Oh yeah, yeah, we can hear you. Good. Uh, we. Good. Uh, where, where are you calling from? I'm calling from Mexico City, actually. I, I overheard you guys uh, wondering what <laughs> what this long number was about. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, we've never seen that. That's why, because we've never gotten a call from Mexico City. That's why. That's why we've never seen it that long. <laughs> yeah. Oh, very good. Uh, so. Thanks for being on tonight. We uh, 
uh, Mike and I were discussing Chew Fly, right? Or is it Chew Fly? Yes. Chew Fly, yeah, no, you got it. You nailed it. Chew Fly, okay, okay, that, that's good. Um, so to begin with, I want you to tell me your history. How did you come about to be the founder of Chew Fly Imports? What, what, was, what led you up to this? And I know you've been in politics for a long time, which is not usually a standard step to get into wine and export. So what is the Isn't history that the of that? Truth? <laughs> yeah, really. yeah, that's the truth. That's the truth. I often feel like the, the, the dumbest person in the room whenever I get around uh, um, some knowledgeable wine folk. Um, and I and I certainly know my place and in, in, in the business is gross. <laughs> certainly not true. <laughs> uh, but um, luckily, luckily we've got a whole bunch of great people that help on that stuff. Um, yeah. So I, I came to wine through international affairs and economic development. Um, mm-hmm. I was uh, oh boy. Um, I had I do I do have a little bit of a wine. I wouldn't say pedigree. That's probably a, 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 an exaggeration. But my grandfather is from, on my mom's side, is from Wisconsin. Oh. He was a farmer and, you know, had a, a little garden and, um, you know, just kind of blue-collar, rural Wisconsin family, of Norwegian stock. And um, they immigrated before the Civil War. We still have, like, actually the the um, plot, of, plot of land and the original Norwegian immigrants came over. When they came over, they bought. We still have it in our family, which is pretty cool. Wow. Um, That's cool. Yeah. But my grandpa made some sweet wines. You know, let's just call them that. They were wines that were not, you know, very uh, sophisticated or anything, but, you know, he made them. And so he would always make them in his basement and stuff like that. And I'd say that was probably my first uh, experience with wine. Um, but uh, as, a, as a kid, you know. Um, but I, I didn't really have an, like a profound appreciation for fine wine. Like that, that wasn't where I came from. I came from understanding uh, that economic development projects around the world uh, failed, failed really, you know, far more frequently than they succeeded. Um, and I spent some time in Bolivia, which is the other half of my, my heritage. Uh, um, my dad immigrated from Bolivia. And it turns out Bolivia has a pretty unique and incredible wine history and wine tradition, which we can get into if you guys want to later. Um, yes. And and so, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, it, it struck a chord with me. And so I spent a lot of time in Sub-Saharan Africa, uh, the Middle East, um, and Latin America looking at sales development projects and, um, and coming to a, a pretty clear conclusion that uh, you got to have a market for a product of the first step before you really want to, you know, change an economy. And secondly, that, that product ought to be include a whole value chain behind it. And so that there's room for people to, uh, to rise up, you know, social upward mobility. Um, the sad truth of a lot of commodity exports from the developing world is that, you know, um, although you can live a life of dignity through fair trade coffee or fair trade quinoa or something like that, um, your kid's probably going to, also pick coffee beans and also pick quinoa and and not really climb up the value chain, right? Wine is this beautiful agricultural good, this very rare agricultural good where there's a whole value chain uh, attached to it, attached to the grape. Mm -hmm. 
And there you have, like, all sorts of new opportunities for growth so that the kids, you know, the parents who's, who are picking grapes as laborers, their kids aren't necessarily hamstrung into that in that same role through the whole, their, you know, through generation after generation. And we actually have stories in our own in the wineries that we work with that are very inspirational about how the next generation has been able to move up into different roles in the winery um, and improve the quality of their lives. And so that was, that was kind of how I got, got to the, to this whole thing. And, you know, I'm not afraid to go to countries that are um, maybe a little off the beaten track. I've served in Iraq and Saudi Arabia. I was in the peace negotiations with the FARC guerrillas um, and, you know, I've been all around the world. I just got back from Honduras actually last week. Um, and, and so, like, you know, discovering all these interesting wine region, winemaking traditions around the world in countries that are kind of off the radar, they might be a little bit, you know, intimidating for a lot of people, but who have really beautiful wines to share with the world. And so linking all that up together is kind of how I fell into wine. Mm, interesting. How many, and, and just as a side here, how many languages do you speak? <laughs> I speak, uh, uh, Spanish, English, French, and Arabic. Oh, okay. Quite. Although my Arabic is rusty, my wife my wife would tell you that my Arabic needs a lot of work. It's been a while since I spoke in Arabic. <laughs> <laughs> and your wife is from where? <laughs> She's American, but of Syrian descent. So, ah, yeah, okay. and she also she also believes that she can speak better uh, Spanish than I can, which ah. I probably wouldn't. I, I probably wouldn't. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's got to you over. And, uh, that is on your website. I noticed this. You fly website. That is your partner there that uh, we see. Uh, yeah, that's not my uh, wife. That's my partner, T. Lai Long. Yeah. She's, oh, uh, okay. she's part of the family, though. Yeah. Okay. So she was, uh, we're, we're a very family oriented. Uh, company. When Tli joined, she was a junior in college at GW University in Washington. And I was on paternity leave um, from the State Department with my firstborn, and um, that was kind of when I started planting the seeds. I had done a couple of exploratory trips to Bolivia to talk to the wineries and kind of lay out, you know, hey, this is what I think we can do. I don't have a lot of experience in wine, but I think this story will be compelling. And they sort of signed up with me. And then I and then I realized quickly, um, with the help of some of my partners, that yeah, you have a full time job as a diplomat. You can't really be <laughs> you know, yeah running well, a wine company. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would think that you know. I go wait a minute. You need to choose here. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I put out some ads in the local DC uh, universities and said, hey, I need somebody who's 21 years old who wants to transform economies around the world through wine and spirits. Um, and if, and I pay, and in Washington, that's a big deal, you know, because the government doesn't pay anybody, uh, including me <laughs> I, sometimes, I feel. Um, and, uh, and so the, um, so I was offering to pay people, and I got a lot of interest. And oh, I Eli was, uh, we were very fortunate um, that Tli uh, joined us, and, and, I, and I mentioned uh, Tli always in the context of my family because, um, she came, she, as I said, I was on paternity leave, so I had a brand new little boy infant who I continue to be madly in love with. And oh, yeah. he, they do that. Yeah. They do that to you. Right? Mm-hmm. And, yes. um, and she was the first person who was not a relative to watch my kid. 
And so ah. she's, uh, so she's, she's very, very tight with me and my wife and my family. We're, we're all a big family. So, uh, she's actually doing a tasting tonight with the GW alumni group. <laughs> her son. Oh, very good. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's funny. But anyways, that, yes, that's Tilai. And, and that's another problem that Mike and I had trying to pronounce it. Tilai, uh, and yeah. we can come out. You know, <laughs> what 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 is her nationality? Tilai. She's American. She's an American is apple pie. Yeah, from uh, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, and she describes it as her in her own words. Uh, I was born to two hippie parents who exactly. loved this book about uh, yeah some uh, a Native American woman, and that was her name was Eli, and so they named her after this yeah. this, this character. We get a lot of Americans <laughs> that are, that are born to hippie parents that have weird names now. So yeah, hey, that's cool. Let's try this name. And they go, oh, okay. Yeah. And the kids are stuck with us for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Tli, that's sort of an interesting name, though. Uh, the yeah. uh, uh, okay, so you're you're starting to tell me the story of you know starting the business, all that. Just continue on there. That's uh, yeah. So the the crux of it is that for us, for me, and 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 our sort of founding team. Um, who we are all sort of mission-oriented. Um, for us, it was just clear that wine was a means to an end. And for us, the end was um, empowering people to transform their local economies. And um, and it just so happens that wine is a delicious means, right? I mean, like, let's be honest oh, yeah. here. Like, you know, I, I'm very fortunate, I think, that um, I didn't, you know, fall upon, I don't know, some boring you know, like paper cups, you know, like, cause I mean, if that was the thing that was going to drive development in the countries that I was looking at, that's what I would have gone for because the end goal for me is development. Um, I'm just very, very lucky. And my wife is very grateful because <laughs> she loves fine wine. Um, that uh, really good high quality wines happen to be a great means to driving this, to, to getting to this end of driving development. And so, um, so that was, that was kind of how we got started. And we spent the first few years really just trying to, understand, you know, looking at, Bol- at Bolivia as sort of the pilot, it's, it's probably the most difficult country you could ever imagine wanting to start a wine company in, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's the poorest country in South America. It has uh, very poor infrastructure. The last two years have seen tremendous amount of social and political unrest. Um, it's, you know, uh, it's, there's, there's, it's landlocked. There's not even a port. Um, and it's in very rough terrain, right? You know, it's in the Andes Mountains. And so um, we figured that if we can do it here, we can kind of do it anywhere, right? And, and, yeah. um, and you know, and then it, and it just so happens, to, you know, it helps a lot, I think, that Bolivia does have this remarkable wine tradition, almost 500 years now, of, of a winemaking history that no one knows about. And being able to share that um, to the world and, and really show – uh, that there is these knockout, you know, knock your socks off quality wines um, coming from this region that produces about one and a half percent of the wine that Argentina produces um, in terms of volume uh, is really, really fascinating. Um, and so that's what we set out to do. And we, we really started with the restaurant industry and finding champions there for us um, to one, validate the quality of the product. That was really important to us. Like one of the you know, uh, as I kind of looked into this and just understood 
um, you know, uh, the, the wine and spirits industry, you know, one of the big mistakes that often countries will make in this sector is um, they try to compete on price alone mm-hmm. and become yeah. and sort of pigeon them, pigeonhole themselves into this value category that's really hard to shake. The big example for folks in my generation, you know, Gen Xers is tequila. You know, everybody in my generation and probably even before me um, assume that tequila is a terrible, low-quality spirit, right? <laughs> because yeah. of the experiences yeah. we had in college, you know. And, um, and in fact, it's not. It's this incredible premium spirit when it's actually done right um, that is meant for sipping and, and is just really high quality. Well, you know, it took 30, 40 years for that trend to reverse, you know, in the U.S. to yeah. kind of correct that mistake. Rum saw some, a similar experience. Um, and I think, you know, to a lesser degree, but still, I think there's something to be said about Chilean and Argentinian wine of sort of, you know, really competing on that qual on the price point, uh, and, and, you know, a little bit too much that sort of, you know, hamstrung them a little bit. I think that obviously there's incredible Argentinian and, and Chilean wines that, that stand up toe to toe with any fine wine from around the world. Um, oh, but yeah. there's just sort of this cachet, you know, that, that kind of stuck with it. And so uh, as part of our, you know, impact thesis is just, yeah, we want to maintain that ability of being differentiable. And since the, the production levels are so low in Bolivia, um, you just can't compete on price. The economies of scale are just not there. You know, one, one large winery in, in Argentina produces more wine than the whole, the whole darn country, you know, Bolivia. Oh, yeah. And so... So, you know, like it's, it's, uh, it's just not a, a place that we can play. So, uh, and that's, that's going to be the truth for almost any developing country that is, you know, you know emerging wine country, um, uh, uh, winemaking country, you know. Um, and so that's kind of where we focus is like, all right, let's go around and show people that this is a really high-quality wine that's, that can command a, a, a price and go toe-to-toe with, with some of the fine wines around the world. And we did that about nine of nine, uh, what is it? Um, well, more than nine of our products, but our products, our portfolio of wine and spirits were featured in nine Michelin star restaurants. Wow. Uh, and we've been in James. We, our first placement of a wine was the Adam West Knot, uh, which is a fantastic wine. We're always sold out of it. We can't keep it in stock. It's a phenomenal Tanat. And it was uh, the first place I ever got was that wine and bourbon steak at the Four Seasons. And it was the year they were uh, selected as James Beard finalists for best wine list in the country. So we're talking like serious, serious quality, right? You know, none of these people mess around with their wine list. You can't pay to get on them. And like, <laughs> as if we had yeah. to pay anybody. But, um, uh, you know, so it was, it, it, that was a big part of the first few years was just kind of like saying, okay, are these wines good? Because we don't want to go into this business if – we have to compete on price because there's no way that these developing countries are going to be able to do that. Then that's an unwinnable war, right? With the Edie and Jay Gallows of the world, the wine groups, the treasuries, oh, yeah. there's zero chance we can compete with them on that on, on price. And and uh, especially with the you know the the, the dominance of the bulk wine kind of uh, in in the industry right now. And so we really had to differentiate on quality and, and be able to set ourselves apart. And so that's what we did. And and you know kudos to Tli and my partner who you know, did the, you know, knocking on the doors and, um, you know, the, you know, the rolling of the eyes when you say Bolivian wine and, and, and just getting through <laughs> yeah. all that. And, uh, and then just wowing people with, you know, just the bottles. And then, you know, and then we bring in the story, right? And then we come in with these amazing stories about impact, about tradition, about uh, history. 
and economics. And and all of a sudden you're you're just wowing people. You're like, wow, the juice is good, but the story is better. You know, mm-hmm. and um, and so that's what we wanted to do is validate this this idea with Bolivia. Um, we feel very confident we did. I mean, we have no, we have we're, we're 100% uh, convinced on the quality. That part is now kind of we're past that piece of it. We don't have to worry about that anymore. In fact, one of the people that is uh, we call her our um, our uh, chief chief portfolio curator. Uh, is the former uh, wine director for Maidan, which is a Muslim star restaurant. Oh. Very, very, yeah. very nice restaurant. And, um, and she helps us curate. And we have a really elaborate matrix on evaluation. We evaluate things such as impact, like different impact factors, sustainability, workforce empowerment, all these different things. And then we look at the quality, so the technical aspects of the wine, like how, how high quality is it. And then we look at the um, partnership factors, like are these wineries that we want to partner with? So we'll be very selective in our portfolio uh, always as we expand to new regions. And so, um, so yeah, so it's just been, it's been really fun. We're learning along the way. And more recently, we've, we've realized that, you know what? We've got to we've got to uh, communicate more directly to our consumer um, because we really truly believe, and this is another piece of sort of what we've learned, is that um, the consumers is uh, this is what they want. You know, they they they're not going to sacrifice quality. You know, they want a good wine always, um, but they but they want to know that their purchasing dollars are actually um, doing some good in the world. And, uh, and, and they want to see wine as a way to, you know, share stories and, and discover new regions. I mean, like one thing that we, we love to talk about in, in Trifla is, is how, win, you know, how, how wine is a window to, to different cultures. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a great path. Uh, it's a great means to discover, you know, entire countries, regions, uh, culinary traditions. Like you, you really can use wine as this beautiful uh, tool to 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 see the world, um, and and you know that's what we do. Like we're we're focused on wines that are largely undiscovered, and um, and uh, and that's going to always be the case. You know, as we start to continue to add new regions to our our platform to to fly, uh, there'll always be interesting stories behind them. There'll always be really fun discoveries to make. And that's so important. The stories behind it too. I. I say that firsthand because when I had the winery, uh, we would have wines, but I would have a story for each one of them and tell about each one. That's right. And and yeah, even on a small scale like that, people like to hear the stories. That's one of the good things about going to a winery, and that's why this past year and a half has been so rough on wineries because people like to hear the stories. They want to know <laughs> a little bit behind the wine and what it's about and all that. So. That, that's very important. I agree. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and, you know, and I think, too, that, like, you know, even taking that a step further, it's, it's just, like, it's hard to humanize uh, a lot of, you know, consumables in our lives, right? You know, like, it's, it's hard to humanize, like, you know, I don't know, like, uh, a soda pop or, you know, or even a beer. But just about anything, actually, um, if you think about yeah, it. Yeah, really. I mean, a lot of stuff. You know, it's hard to humanize it. The wine is, is this beautiful thing because there's, there's a winemaker behind that one. Right. And there's some people, there's, there's, there's a whole collective of people that, that pick those grapes, right, and put them in that, in that thing. And, and, and they're all, like, 
you know, it's relatable. It's it's uh, um, it's it's uh, what is the term that I'm thinking of? It's it's romantic. You know, like mm-hmm. it's, it's a romantic yeah. industry, right? And and uh, it takes you to a place that who wouldn't want to sit on a winery and, and watch the sunset, right? Exactly. Um, and so yeah, and so yeah, I think that there's a lot of that. And you know, in Bolivia, it's, it's been fun because we've 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 now got three new grape varietals that have never been registered with the U.S. authorities registered. Um, oh, really? We've got two new regions, winemaking regions that were never, two new Appalachian domain of origin that were never, ever recognized by the U.S. government. We've got them. Like, that's the kind of stuff that we want to do. You know, we want to bring new stuff there. We're, there's, a, there's a grape that we're going to bring in. It'll be only available with our wine club, but it's very teeny tiny production. Um, but there's this, uh, it's about 8,000 feet above sea level. It's in this red canyon, and it's actually in a, you know, offshoot of this red canyon, and it's called the Canyon of the Sintis. And uh, it, it takes about two and a half hours to get there on this mm-hmm. like, gravel mountain road that uh, my, uh, I would probably not take my kids on. <laughs> I'm a little bit of a nerd. I'm a little bit of a nervous dad. And, um, and it, you know, you get, you get to the end of this road, and there, there's literally, you, you wouldn't even know you were, what you were looking at until someone told you. But um, there's literally a forest of grapes. And uh, what it is is these grapevines that are hundreds of years old uh, have just intertwined with the trees in this forest. And Mm -hmm. there are quince trees and peppercorn trees and fig trees and citrus trees. It's absolutely magic. Like there's nothing like it on the face of the planet that I'm aware of. And there's literally hundreds of vines that are growing on this. And the, and the grapes uh, are predominantly this, this, this um, native varietal, uh, native in the strict definition of the term in, in the wine world, in the viticultural world, um, native varietal called Vistrokenia uh, that only grows in this valley. And it's a very light grape. It's beautiful. The, the clusters have both red and, and, and white grapes in the same cluster. Wow. It's, it's a, it's a phenomenal grape that's been, it's probably, I don't know, it probably sort of spawned maybe three, 300 years ago or so. And, um, and, and, and we're going to bring in the first bottles of that ever in the history of the United States. So it's pretty, pretty exciting. Uh, Yeah, it's really beautiful stuff. Yeah. They pick, they literally pick the, pick the grapes by climbing the trees. They have to climb the trees and they have these baskets on their back. I've seen it. It's incredible. Um, but yeah, well, so, you know, this is the thing, you know, when you, when you discover new regions, you, you learn about all these new traditions and histories and, you know, that's the only way to find out. You got to get there. Well, uh, uh, you, you think South America, you immediately mm-hmm. think Chile and Argentina. And Not that's pretty much it. I mean, you know, Bolivia mm-hmm. doesn't even come to mind as a secondary or tertiary or even further down the line of a country that's okay. going to be growing grapes. I mean, you understand that okay. as well as, as anyone. So, okay. you know, you, I understand your introduction, your dad coming from there, but Bolivian wines and your site here says they've been around for, for hundreds and hundreds of years and it's just, it's not known. So, how many regions? Uh, actually, I can see that yeah. that you tell me. How many regions are in Bolivia that grow wine? What type of grape or go grapes rather? How many mm-hmm. different types of grapes are grown there? 
and what is the uh, the, the profile of the wine from that yeah. region? I mean, I know it's landlocked, but obviously yeah. there's mountains and there's lowlands and everything. Yeah. So I'm going to let you really educate us on Bolivian wines here. Sounds great. Yeah. So, okay. So the hundreds of years piece, uh, you know, or the origin of Bolivian wine is, is uh, like anywhere else in the New World, right? It came with the, with the with the European conquest of the Americas, and they brought the grapes over with them. Bolivia's uh, story gets unique because of um, uh, the the massive silver mine. I think it was at one point the largest silver mine in the world. It's called mm-hmm. Cerro Rico, and it's out, it's in a town called Potosí. So that that town and that mountain. Uh, in the 16th century, early 16th century, was at the time the, the wealthiest city in the world because it just wow. had so much silver. Yeah, and it was um, it's really really impressive uh, uh, its history and, and and all that. And so obviously, where there's wealth, uh, there's people, and there where there's right. people, especially in colonial times, there's the, the aristocracy that that comes with it. Well, the problem with Potosí and Cerro Rico is that it's about 14,000 feet above sea level. So that would be like trying to live on top of Pikes Peak. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's not a very hospitable place. The only thing you're growing up there is quinoa and potatoes. Definitely not grapes. Uh, and so when, um, you know, the, the Jesuits and the Franciscans and the Dominicans arrived, you know, wanting to make wine for mass, they had to go down into the lower valleys. And the first valley that they settled in most likely in that area was um, the Sinti Valley, which is this canyon I was telling you about. It's at a mere 8,200 8, feet above zero. Um, but now, because, quick question here. Yeah. Quick question. Yeah. Bolivia, does the uh, equator run through the center of Bolivia? No, but it's all tropical. So the equator okay. runs right above the northern part of it. Um, oh, okay. But the entire, the entire country is tropical. And so great question, and that is a great segue into the elevation piece. So because of the fact that Bolivia is, is literally a tropical country and that 40% of its, its land mass is actually the Amazon rainforest. Oh, wow. Um, you can't even uh, – and then 10% of it is the Altiplano, so there's 14,000 feet above sea level, and then, and then the rest of it is mountain valleys. Right? There's a little bit of a, uh, a, a savanna piece towards Paraguay and Argentina. But um, mm-hmm. the, the, the biggest sort of chunk of Bolivian landmass is the Amazon rainforest. And then you wow. have a really big chunk of, of, of valleys, right? And, and so the valleys, of course, is where you get these microclimates because the Andes Mountains are, um, you know, massive. So, you know, you're talking oh, peaks, yeah. you know, the, high, <laughs> the highest peak in Bolivia is 21,000 feet, right? Wow. And so, uh, so between, you know, the rainforest, which is essentially, you know, sea level to uh, Iimani, which is 21,000 feet, uh, between there you have all these valleys. So the thing about the, – the funny thing, so you guys probably know this, and I bet you a lot of your listeners know this stuff, you know. The, the elevation, average elevation in Bordeaux is, I don't know, what is it, a couple hundred feet, two hundred feet above yeah, sea level. Yeah, not much, yeah. And then you go to Napa, and you're looking. I think the average is somewhere around 1,200 feet above sea level. If and then that, you get to yeah. Mendoza, if that, right? And then you get to Mendoza, and you're averaging at about 2,900 feet above sea level. Bolivia's wine country starts 
at 5,200 feet above sea level. Oh, my gosh. It starts at 5,200 feet. So, you know, you can, all, you, you can always find the one-off, you know, winery that, you know, in, in you know, in random countries, like, around the world. You can find that one-off winery. Whoa, we're at, you know, 8,000, 9,000 feet. And it's like, okay, okay. But are all of your wineries at 5,000 feet? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and, you know, and oh so – um, yeah, it's really remarkable, and and so there you have it, my friend. This is what sort of makes Bolivian wine so interesting and unique is that all of the wine is affected uh, by extreme elevation, and so the winemakers there, their big challenge is to take these grapes and figure out how to make you know really unique and spectacular wines uh, um, in this very hostile environment, right? Yeah, and for I you know for again for your um, for your following, I think folks will appreciate this. The other beauty of elevation is that your shift in temperature between, you know, the hottest and lowest point of the day and, you know, the evening and the night, I mean, the day and the evening uh, is very extreme. So uh, because of elevation, you have very right. thin atmosphere. So the, so the heat's not trapped during the day, but the thin atmosphere allows for really intense UV rays to come in um, when, when the sun's up. And so that thinner atmosphere um, uh, forces the grapes to develop thicker skins to protect themselves from the UV rays. Uh, and then they also face that greater stress from the, 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 the temperature change. And what you end up having is extremely uh, intense aromas, aromatics, uh, flavors. You have um, softened tannins, uh, more rounded tannins naturally through that because of those factors. Um, and you get some really interesting things. So you get, um, I think one of the, the funnest things, and in fact, there's, there's a, uh, we got a couple of whites that do this, but the Magnus Muscatel right now is just really, really, really fun in this way. It's, I say, I always tell people you get a twofer when you drink a Bolivian white wine because <laughs> you get on the nose, you get on the nose, you're anticipating a sweet, fruity, uh, you know, uh, just kind of like intense aroma, right? Aromatics. And you're kind of like, oh, okay, this is going to be a sweet wine, pretty wine. All right. And then you drink it and it's bone dry. <laughs> it's just absolutely bone dry. And you're like, what? That is not what was supposed to just happen. My nose did not agree with that. Uh, that's I did not wrong. prepare my tongue for that taste. <laughs> and it's because of the acidity. That's the other piece that the elevation brings in. The acidity sort of I, rips through that. that yeah, I shouldn't say that. That elevation, that temperature, that's really going to affect the acid on the wine too. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So, uh, so anyway, so there's there's some unique characteristics about Bolivian wine. They've been largely producing for their own domestic consumption since you know they started producing grapes uh, in the 16th century, and um, and then when we started exporting it, we were basically the first commercial exporters to take it out. And, wow. Um, and especially to the U.S., there was always, you know, there's been little orders here and there that went out to, like, an oblivion expat that was living somewhere, and you would order a bunch or, uh, you know, kind of a, um, uh, you know, like a, someone who was doing it for the novelty would bring in, you know, like a palette or something here and there. But, it, right. you know, for us, we've, we've, we've brought in now, uh, uh, what have we done? 5,000, over 5,000 cases of oblivion wine. We've put in the United States. Yeah, five thousand cases. That's real. Wow. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So, h- how so many how many growing there. regions are there in Bolivia? Yeah. And yeah. where do you get your wines from? You know, from each region, or and how many yeah. wineries are in each region? I mean. Yeah, yeah. So there are three predominant wine growing regions. The biggest, by far, just by by number of wineries, number of bottles, everything, and and on land area, is Tarija which is probably the least surprising area because it's uh, the, the state that borders Argentina. Um, oh, okay. And so, although it's a very, it's a very different terroir, but still, you know, it makes sense, right? To the average person. Uh, and so um, you just kind of keep climbing north along that mountain chain uh, that from, you know, Mendoza, Salta, then up to Tarija. And, oh. um, and then, and so that they, they, they have the most production, right? So we're looking at, we work with uh, Magnus, Aranjuez, Concepcion, and we're going to bring in Altasama now. Um, so that's, uh, we're, we're going to bring in four wines from that, working with four wineries from that region. And there's probably, I'd say, commercial winery, not just like, you know, making it for their family, um, maybe like 15 or 20. Uh, wow. And then maybe a few more than that, actually. But you know, there's you know a lot of it is pretty informal. And then um, and then the 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 most traditional region is the one I was talking about, the Sinti region, which is this canyon. And so Tarija is like, think of it as kind of like a Mediterranean climate. Um, it has a, sort of a sandy soil. Um, it's about 5,200 to 6,500 feet above sea level. There's Jeez. two principal valleys there, uh, sub-valleys, the Santa Ana Valley and the Concepcion Valley. We have wineries from both. Um, uh, and then and then the Sinti Valley is above uh, Tarija. You have to go up a mountain. It's this, it's this long drive. It's a very beautiful drive. Um, and you go up onto the Alti, there's a little Altiplano up there, like a little plateau, and then and then that plateau dives into this this canyon, and that drive, by the way, is just it's got to be one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. And I've oh, yeah. traveled traveled to about fifty countries in my life. Yeah, I've seen a lot of stuff, and that 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 to that canyon is just phenomenal. And that canyon's at about eight thousand to nine thousand feet above sea level, um, mm. depending where you're at in it. And that has a whole bunch of little 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 like four hundred case production wineries. I'd say there's probably like 30 or 40, if not more, but they're all teeny yeah. tiny. Um, and they make it for each other. Like they basically just sell it domestically. And we're going to, for the first time this year, we, we, this is one of the regions that we had uh, recognized by the, by the, by the PTB. Um, it will be exporting that wine for the first time ever. And, and they, they have the longest tradition. They have probably one of the longest traditions in the Western hemisphere. If you, if, if it was documented, but it's not, unfortunately. Um, but just, you know, uh, knowing that all the wealth was in Cerro Rico and knowing this was the first valley to plant grapes, and that was the epicenter of Spanish, uh, of the Spanish wealth at the time, like it makes sense logically that that would be one of the earliest um, sources of wine. But anyways, uh, and then the third region is, is this beautiful region that's also so unique. Um, it's also about kind of like 5,500 to 7,000 feet above sea level. And this, this region, yeah, I know, right? But this region is really interesting. It's called Samaipata. And this region is, is, in the, is in the far eastern part of Bolivia. 
as as one of the the winemakers there likes to call it, the elbow of the Andes, and it and it juts into the Amazon. And I'm telling you, gentlemen, this is probably the only place. And I and I and you guys are probably the ones who be able to correct me if I'm wrong, but I this is probably the only place in the world where you can be sipping wine on a vineyard and then 20 minutes later be diving into a tropical waterfall, which I've done, <laughs> by the way. Um, if I showed you the videos, man, you would blow your mind. It's, it's, there's nothing like it. On the other side of the mountain ridge is a, a national park in the Amazon. Um, there's coffee on the other side of the mountain. Like, you know, you can't grow grapes where you can grow coffee. That's just a rule of thumb that I think we should all know. Um, <laughs> and, uh, 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 but anyways, it's, it's, uh, it's, so that's the third primary region. Now, my dad is from Cochabamba, which also has, um, some grapes growing, but it doesn't have an Appalachian or anything, but we might get that fixed too. And, and we got to explore the quality first, but, um, uh, but those are the three main regions, Samaipata, okay. Tarija, and the Sinti. That's going from, from uh, east to west, then, what you just That's right. There. Yeah. Uh, um, I'm looking at a map here while we were talking, trying to locate all that. Highway 7 seems to be the major road through everything. Um, yeah. From yeah, but you, you would you'd fly to these places. Like, the drives are very... <laughs> My dad's actually in... <laughs> My dad's in Bolivia right now, and uh, 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 he's going to be driving from Cochabamba to Santa Cruz and something like that. Uh, the roads are they're not always reliable, let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the uh, climate in all those regions, yeah. are they all basically the same because of the elevation? No, no they're not. Um, the, I mean, they're, they're the same, and the, they have enough sameness to be grape growing regions, but uh, the the Pata is much more of a cool climate. So think, you know, kind of like Northwest sort of style. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it doesn't quite get that heat that you would get in Tarija, which is where you get that uh, more Mediterranean climate. It's a little warmer during the middle of the day. Um, and then, uh, and then Cindy is, boy, Sinti is probably more similar to Tarija, but it has less, uh, it's a little less humid, um, a little drier. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's, it's a canyon. I mean, the thing about Sinti that's just crazy is you're, it's like, it's, it's, it's not exaggerating. It's like growing, having vineyards in uh, a miniature Grand Canyon. Oh yeah. yeah it, just, it, it really just it's hard to explain until you get there, you know. It's this little narrow track of land that just is very long, like snakes through this canyon and there's just vineyards all around it. Hmm. Um Yeah, it's really cool. Well, since they are well, now this is interesting I just thought about here. United States, we plant get bud break in march april we harvest in august september because we're in the northern hemisphere australia Mm -hmm. bud break in you know uh, october and they harvest in uh, april may june and they're in the southern hemisphere but Mm -hmm. bolivia is 
just basically in the center. So what is their growing season? No, it's it's southern. It's totally southern. So they're uh, they're yeah. yeah they're picking grapes in January and February. Asinti will pick grapes in March, early March, um, near the higher elevation. Um, and so yeah, so it's it's the, on the southern schedule. Southern oh, schedule. well, that it mm-hmm. seems odd since you know since the the equator is just right there basically, and it yeah. just seems odd yeah. that it would change immediately. I mean, it's just like yeah, wow. Hmm. I never thought. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I wonder. That's a, I never thought of it. I wonder if it has something to do with like the moon or who knows. I, I have no idea. Yeah, I, I don't know. That just is strange because it's just right there. I mean, hmm. Well, uh, the grapes that are grown there. Okay, you <laughs> mentioned native grape, but uh, uh, I, I noticed their tenant is the most common grape in Bolivia? Well, the most common grape in Bolivia is the Muscat of Alexandria grape. Oh! And, yeah, by by far. And part of the reason is because they use it to make Singani, which is a distilled spirit. It's a a, a eau de vie, basically. Uh, And um, and so that, uh, you know, it's distilled from a white wine. They ferment it for three weeks. It's 100% pure Muscat of Alexandria. Uh, fermented into for three weeks uh, into a white wine, and then that's distilled into the into the, the spirit. Um, and so that's a big uh, that's a big uh, consumer of grape that spirit, and so that, that's a big one. Um, Torrentes is very largely planted as well. Uh, Pedro Jimenez with the G, not the one for sherry, but the, the South mm-hmm. American version of Pedro Jimenez um, oh. is is also widespread there. Um, but Tanat is the grape that has uh, that has really adapted the best to elevation, mm-hmm. and which makes sense, right? It's a hardy grape, um, and so uh, and the and the thing that that the, the reason why it is just this fantastic wine is um, Tanat is uh, you know naturally very tannic, right? <laughs> and, yeah. and oh, yeah. you know you can you can you know and you need a uh, a piece of red meat, or you need a bunch of water, and you know, to to, to immediately chase it with, right? Um, otherwise, you're kind of like, you know, you know, doing that awkward cat thing with your tongue on your mouth, and um, and and the elevation just rounds off those tannins to the point where you could actually take a bottle of just straight 100% not and drink it as though it was, uh, you know, a, a cab Sauv or Syrah or something. Like it's just oh, very. Wow. Very, very drinkable um, and very approachable, uh, and and that's where Bolivia sort of made its mark. Is um, uh, uh, their their is just just phenomenal. Um, but you know the the thing is that elevation affects all grapes, and so yeah. you know the 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 seventeen fifty Chardonnay, and I wonder if we even have any of that left. We were selling on that fast, but the seventeen fifty Chardonnay, I was basically out. Um, is another one of those uh, remarkable wines that, you know, it tastes, it doesn't taste like any Chardonnay that you've probably had before. And it really, but it's still is a Chardonnay. Like you drink it and you're like, oh yeah, that's a Chardonnay. But man, is that different? <laughs> you know? Um, do, do they oak their wines there? Uh, or, some do, some don't. Some oh, do, some okay. don't. A general rule of thumb is it's oaked a lot less. 
Oh, yeah. um, and again, if, if the elevation allows for that. Like, you know, part of the reason why this knot is so remarkable is that it barely touches oak. Whereas, you know, like a really good knot in France, you know, you're going to, or Uruguay, you're going to see a lot of oak um, right. to help soften it out and round it out. Um, uh, so, yeah, so generally they have less oak, but there's some wineries that, that do oak, some that don't. Mm-hmm. I, I would just, I was looking at a, uh, well, the Bolivian wine country, and it said that the grapes grown there, and they did not mention Tanat at all. Uh, they said mm-hmm. Tanat, Shiraz, Cabernet, Chardonnay, Malbec, mm-hmm. Merlot, and Pinot Noir, and that's it, mm-hmm. you know, which, uh, and then yeah. the whites, uh, what, Chenin Blanc, Riesling, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, and Merlot, those aren't white. Oh, both red and whites. But uh, uh, they didn't mention Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, they do a ton. Like we have Magnus is a, is a woman winemaker. She only makes about 2000 cases of wine a year total. Um, we have her Sangiovese. Uh, she, you know, she was fond of Italian grapes and she thought that they would do really well at elevation. And she was very correct. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah. she, she, she's the only, I think she's the only one making Sangiovese. But, you know, there's, there's a bunch of like, um, there's a there's a bunch of different varietals. We have a Cab Sauv, we have Syrah, we have several Cab Sauvs, we have Syrah, we have Merlot Blend, we have Sauv Blanc, um, you know, we have a Tanat Rosé, which is really interesting. 100% Tanat Rosé, phenomenal, uh, super fun wine. Uh, Malbec? We, yeah. There is Malbec, but we haven't brought any up yet. Oh, really? No. Yep, they have, no, they, but... they have not. We'll probably bring some up soon. We're going to bring up Sparkling this year. There's mm-hmm. one one winery making sparkling and it's fantastic, uh, and we were so we were so, we were so excited to pass the quality test because you're like, oh my god, a bubbly from Bolivia, how cool is that? What made with what grape? Do you know? Yeah, they uh, so the they we're bringing up a brut, and we're bringing up a um, rosé, sparkling rosé. <clears throat> the rosé is a Tanat Mascarabaxandria blend. Oh. And the brute and the brute the brute is um uh some of the more traditional French grapes, Zarello, Barriada, Pinot Blanc, Ugly Blanc. Oh, okay. All right. Uh native Bolivian grapes, you said that they've been doing it for centuries. And yeah. what what are some of the grapes that are native to Bolivia and yeah. are they any good for wine? Yeah. So the the one that is there's, so there's, I've heard stories of a bunch right up in, in these valleys because they're all kind of hidden these giant vineyards. But the one that I know of the the, the, the that could potentially be the iconic rape of the country is is the Strukinia. So this is one I was telling you about. Uh, this one the the story goes no one really knows what what it is um, how it came to be as, as a grape. But the the legend in Bolivia at least is that uh, it's a cross between the Mission grape and the Muscat of Alexandria grape. Oh. And there's, and there's this beautiful story about, like, a donkey was, you know, taking uh, some vines down near the Vistroca River uh, in one of these valleys, and uh, it tipped over, and the, the vines kind of, uh, while well, crossing the bridge, and the vines sort of drifted down, and then, you know, a few years later, uh, this community found these grapes that were growing along the banks. And it was this kind of weird hybrid grape. 
um, and it was really good. And it, it, it's the closest thing that we've been able to find to it is probably something like a Pinot Noir. It's best drink, oh. young. Um, it's uh, very light and, and refreshing. It's totally crushable, but it's just got this remarkable complexity, which is probably, you know, attributed to the elevation because it you know, makes the skin right. thicker. Yet it's naturally a, a lighter, a lighter one, a grape. I mean, so um, so that one's really interesting. And then the the Bolivia has a, a, a variation of the mission grape, which they call Negra Criolla, uh, and that's the the grape that we recently got approved to use on a label. Uh, wow. And yeah, and so we we hope to bring that up as well. I don't know if we'll be able to bring it up this year. There might be too too short of a turnaround, but um. Yeah, and you know, we'll keep finding more, and we'll keep uh, yeah. registering them, and and telling the story, and sharing the story, and introducing the origin of grapes. So, wineries in Bolivia, how many? I mean, in all regions and everything, how many wineries are there? Uh, it's a good question. It's probably a little somewhere around fifty commercial wineries, I'd say. Really, that many? And, wow. and yeah, and it's but you know, most of them are going to be under a thousand cases production. No, there's, and, you know, I, it, in the United States, that's the case too. There's not a whole lot of real big wineries. A lot of them are, you know, under, mm-hmm. under, you know, five thousand cases, and so. Mm-hmm. It's, it's mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's probably on the high end. I, I, yeah, but I mean, there's only probably, and then you know, and then again, like you know, quality is like a big piece of our puzzle for us, you know, and so, mm-hmm. you know, the, the when you get to that just like really knock your socks off, you know, good quality wines, you know, then the pot shrinks a little bit there. Uh-huh. How the, the vineyards, uh, what's the size of most of the, the uh, vineyards? What, only about 10, 15 acres? Is that about average? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good amount. And then there's, uh, there's a lot of small landholders too. So not, mm-hmm. not, you know, you know, I'd say by half. Well, let's see. We do have a few that are estate only. Mm-hmm. Some have just certain wines that are estate, um, but not their whole portfolio. Um, but, you know, that's part of the development story for us. It's like one of the wineries we work with, Adam has, uh, which is a very, they're a sort of a pioneer. And they're the ones that won that first international gold medal for Bolivian wine. And that's a funny wow. story, by the way. They didn't even, when they won the gold medal for their Tanat in 2013, they did it in Uruguay, which is, you know, the sort of the, sort of the self-proclaimed champions of Tanah. And they won it in Montevideo. And uh, and the guy, they didn't even believe them. They didn't believe that, uh, <laughs> that, a, that a Bolivian winemaker, a Bolivian winery would have such a good Tanah. They wouldn't give them the gold medal, so they went to the winery in Bolivia and tasted out of the thing. And, uh, and then they gave them the gold medal. Uh, yeah, there's, there's a whole social commentary you get into. Exactly <laughs> we need, uh, before we give you this medal, we need to taste the wine right here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so we don't believe you. Yeah, don't and you know, and that's yeah, it's so reflective of like of of true fly and like our you know it's a bit uphill battle. You got to like you know convince people, but you know once they try it and they see it, then they're like, holy crap, yeah, this is real. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> How many wines do you import from Bolivia? Uh, we we bring in, we have twenty six different products right now. Wow, twenty six different kinds. Yeah, 
Oh, before and, and you mentioned it earlier, but I want to know more about this. Singani, is that how it's pronounced? Yeah, yeah. So that's the twenty-six. So we have twenty-five wines and, and one spirit. So this spirit is is phenomenal. It's actually what we started with. We first started with the spirit, um, uh, and then brought in the wines a year later. And the 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 spirit is. Um, it's just remarkable because it's totally unaged. It doesn't touch wood at all. Uh, yet it has the complexity and the viscosity of, uh, of an aged spirit of like a cognac, you know, it's just this really aromatic. Um, and part of the the story there is, is, is again, attributable to elevation. Um, you know, you're, you're, so the, the juice itself, right, is, is more aromatic because of the elevation from day one, like for, uh, just from the nature of the grape. And then when you're fermenting it and, and distilling it, which is, you know, part of that process is boiling, um, you're doing it at a lower temperature because the elevation is so darn high that the boiling temperature is lower, literally <laughs> by a few degrees. Right. And, and so, so the whole process is less aggressive. And so you're retaining more of these complexities, these little nuances in the in the juice through that process, and and that's you know that's what people you know Shinani distillers like to say is like we don't we don't we don't need to age our stuff because it already tastes interesting <laughs> you know like yeah. cognac yeah they gotta they gotta age it you taste cognac out of the stove it's not very interesting but if you put it in wood then it becomes super complex and it's a fantastic spirit they're like we don't right. need to do that our our thing is pure and beautiful uh, and so. Uh, yeah, it's fun. It's a really fun spirit, and it's a, it's. I drink it straight on the rocks. Um, sometimes I'll put a little squeeze of lime in there just to just to add it. Citrus is a nice compliment. Um, but uh, it basically replaces any any uh, uh, clear spirit, any gin, uh, any traditional cocktail you've ever had. The first cocktail that was ever made with it that, of our spirit in the United States was a Negroni. <laughs> oh, what, what is the uh, ABV on the uh, center? It's uh, it's it's forty uh, percent. Wow! Yeah. yeah. So that's that's right up there, right up there with the others. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a big one, but it's okay. it's as smooth as they come. Our our the guy that makes it, uh, Johnny is his name. Saguero, uh, his. His story is amazing too. The, the distiller, he literally sleeps in the still during that because you know it's not like a grain spirit where you can just kind of make it all year round, um, right? Or like a gin that you can make all year round. You, you make it with the harvest, right? I mean, it's all linked because you yeah. have to ferment the grapes into a wine, uh, and then you have you're only you're only fermenting for three weeks, so then you have to go and and start the distillation process, right? You know, pretty uh-huh. pretty soon thereafter. So you can't just like do it whenever you want. You have a time of year that you're distilling. So it's very aligned with the, the grape cycle. Um, and so during that process is intense, you know, and so he would, he stays in the still, of, you know, with the still and sleeps overnight and <laughs> kind of keeps, but it's, it's awesome. He's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a beautiful spirit. Yeah. It's a very beautiful spirit. Uh, particularly theirs. Uh, they're, they're I mean, it's like everything, right? There's, uh, every country can make, you know, bad wines are equally distributed around the world, so are bad Oh, yeah. And, uh, uh, and, um, and, you know, there's definitely some, when I was a kid, probably younger than I should have been, my cousins would, you know, give me 
to try all the Singanis and, and it wasn't the good stuff. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> we always start with the best though. Yeah. Always. <laughs> so, so, so it's, not, it's nice now to, my, my wife and I sit on this really fine Singani. It's, it's called Rohara Singani. And, you know, we, we, we sit on these fantastic Singani now. So yeah. It was better than when I was a kid. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> Mike. Any any uh, questions or anything uh, comments to Ramon here you'd like to make? Yeah, I, I just uh, saw on your website uh, on the shop uh, the yeah the shop page that your wine prices are are very very good very affordable at least it's showing in dollars I'm I'm guessing that's uh, U.S. Yep. dollars. Yep. Uh, what is your distribution? Do you I mean if someone wants to order on the website. Do you ship uh, only within the country, or can you ship out to yeah. anywhere? Yeah, we're, we're, we're in the U.S. We ship to the 44 states that allow it. And, um, and uh, yeah, that's it. I mean, we're it's been great. I mean, this whole moving to the platform has been wonderful because we've been able to really connect with our consumers directly and our customers and people who are interested in these stories. Yeah. You know, we, we do wine tastings all the time with different groups. We have Tila, like I said, my partner is doing one with GW alumni tonight. Uh, next, in two weeks, we're doing one with the Rainforest Trust. It's a fundraiser for a project in Bolivia. It's really awesome. Um, wow. We've done it for the Vintner Project. Like, we've, we, we love just telling the story and sharing it, and, and it really did people connect with it. And so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. they are affordable wines for, their, for the quality. It's, it's remarkable. It really is. Very good. Uh, yeah, I noticed, that was, I noticed that, and uh, I was. I remember I saw Bolivia on a. This is probably not. It's not related to wine, but I, you were talking about the, the uh, canyons and and uh, the drive and all that, and I remember it was either on Discovery or on Netflix, like the like the most dangerous roads in the world. <laughs> and then, I forgot North uh, Youngest or something or Young. The youngest. I don't know. How you yeah, know. the youngest. Yeah, the union. Oh my yeah. God. You got like a one in chance of making it across, and these people are still going across. I'm like, well, that's not very good odds. And uh, <laughs> no. I'm just looking at this road, well, road, this, this path, yeah. uh, it's incredible. And I, I can't yeah. see how anybody, how anybody can do that. But that's that was in there, and that, that just brought me up when you were talking about, you know, getting through the canyons and all that. But no way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's. There, let's put it this way: we take uh, we've taken a lot of people down there now, you know, influencers and investors and like you know different people, and uh, we're probably going to do another one. I think we might invite our wine club members to come down to one of them. But when we when we take folks down there, we obviously avoid those things. The good news in Bolivia is that the flights are cheap internally, so we just take. We take the flight between the cities and uh, <laughs> and, 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 and stick those venues. We definitely go to tropical waterfalls. Like that part happens, but uh, oh, so yeah. that's very safe and fun. <laughs> I, I was looking at that road, and it was like, oh my gosh, that thing goes through mountains and valleys, and you know the sides of mountains and all sorts of stuff you know, on the map. Yeah. Uh, tell us, uh, uh, Ramon. Tell us about your website, how to get in touch with you, how to order from you, if anyone wants yeah. to, uh, you know, uh, give us all the information so our listeners out there can this out. I mean, it's just... Uh, yeah, I appreciate it, that. Great. I always forget to, I always forget about this piece. I get so excited about the, 
the impact mission and the and the tradition and the history that I forget to let people know how to participate. And uh, <laughs> so we're at we're at chufly.com, which is c h u f l y dot com. And you can just go right to our shop, pick your wines. We have this wonderful pack. It's called Wines of Bolivia. It's a little exploratory pack. It, it's a good little uh, selection of the different styles of wine from the different regions. Um, and then, you know, you can find what, you're, what style you like, and then you can go and uh, explore further with that winemaker or that region. Um, we also uh, are doing a thing with the Rainforest Trust, which might be an interesting way to um, do it. One of our... Uh, we have a, you know, a psalm that uh, guides, does a professionally guided tasting of the wine, so we can really kind of discover that. And then I give a little spiel on our impact thesis. Um, and, and it's a fun way to kind of get to know the wines a little bit better uh, and explore them that way. Um, but, you know, if you know what grapes you like, you know, like, what style of wines you like, then just, you know, get a few bottles and pop them open, share them with some friends. It's a fun story to tell people. You, you can always show up to someone's house, and I guarantee you, you show up with a bloody wine. And go, yeah, I bet you've never had this. You're probably <laughs> yeah. gonna be right. So, and, you know, a lot of a, a lot of our wines, pretty much every one of our wines, with maybe one or two exceptions, are probably less than a thousand cases production. So it's it's wow. there, there's no bulk juice here. Nothing, no bulk. There's uh, on these sites too. I the, the website here. I have to add that the prices, like Mike said, are really reasonable. And it's broken down into the regions and stuff, too. So if you're looking at getting from one particular region. But I think the best thing would be, just like Ramon said there, the Wines of Bolivia pack. It's a six-pack, and it's only $120, $119.99. And that's a great deal. I mean, you can just yeah. start there and just go from there, start ordering from the others. So where uh, is the list of the states you cannot ship to or the ones you can? I don't see it here. Yeah, it's in the FAQ. I think it's buried somewhere in there. Uh, we we got to do a better job of that. We're we're about to um, revamp the website, launch a new one, and that part is going to be a lot clearer. Uh, yeah. We do not ship to Utah, Alabama, um, Alaska, I believe. Um, and there's a, uh, boy, I'm sorry. I, I, I can't remember. Arkansas. Yeah. It's probably there's, a few, there's, there's line, like six yeah. states that, yeah, there's like six states that are just, it's a, it's a no-go zone. And yeah. The same six states that, that don't like people to ship to them no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I think Utah is actually a federal, is a felony. I heard. <laughs> yeah, Utah's, yeah, they're ridiculous. They really are. They are absurd there. I've talked to wineries in Utah, and even to wineries in Utah say, they're absurd here. You know, I mean, it's just yeah. like, everybody, everybody knows it. You know, same thing with Alabama and, and uh, uh, what is the other one there? Mississippi, I think, was another one that was, was really crazy. Mississippi, too, yeah. 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 And Kansas has got some pretty strict rules and stuff. Yeah. But Utah is right up there at the top of that list. So, So, but all right. Uh, You you know, everybody check it out. Chufly, C-H-U-F-L-Y.com. Very simple, very easy, but great wines. And you can also order that uh, Singani on there. There's uh, down at the bottom of the page, you can order a bottle of the Singani. And, uh, Have that. What are your 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 shipping costs? Are uh... we do 
$20 flat rate, and then free shipping on any order over $149. Wow. So we try to make it super, super reasonable. Yeah, like, I mean, look, our mission is to, yeah, our mission is to try to, uh, you know, spread the word, share the word. So we're we're willing to uh, do our best to make sure that we can get in as many people's hands as possible that appreciate this type of thing. Yeah, that that is a good price on that shipping too. Fantastic. Anything else, Mike? Before uh, we say goodnight to Ramon? Not really. If if anybody's interested, uh, definitely go to the website, the Rainforest Trust Virtual Wine Fundraiser. Uh, takes place at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Wednesday, June 30th. So time is running out. Right. Get on the website now. And they do accept PayPal, which is awesome. So uh, you got yeah. uh, you got uh, choices. And, uh, that's always a good choice uh, for some people. But uh, Wednesday, June 30th at 8 p.m. Eastern time is the Rainforest Trust Virtual Wine Fundraiser. And um, go to the website, uh, like Ron and, and uh, Ramon said, and check it out. Register. Great. Get, get busy with right now. Thank you. Perfect. Gentlemen, thank you. Thank you so much for taking an interest in our story and our mission. Oh, I sincerely appreciate it. Yeah. It was very, very interesting. It was, you know, fascinating and, and informative. I really enjoyed it. And best of luck to yeah. you in your ventures and finding new countries. When you find yourself a new country, a new small country that we've never tasted wines from, let us know. We'll get you back on again. You can tell us about that one, too. That sounds great. All right. Thanks a lot. Have yourself a good evening. You too. Take care. Thank you. Take care. Okay. All right. There we go. That was interesting. Bolivian wines. Who would ever thought? Like I said, you know, tell me of South American wines, Chile and Argentina. Anything else? Nope, that's it. You know, who would ever consider Bolivian wines? And uh, mm. they're they're reasonable too. I mean, you know, he and you know, flat rate twenty dollars and free after one forty nine. You can get yourself the the Bolivian taster pack for one hundred and twenty, and buy yourself a Sangani uh, for. 30 and you've passed that free shipping mark and you've got yourself mm-hmm. some some good taste there so there you go people just you know jump on it and it's for a good call I mean, the, yep what they uh, uh all of it helps you know sustain and support and you know, the the country and the winemaking regions and all that there and so yeah, that that was interesting. And I hope he finds some new little countries and, you know, we can get him on again and let us tell about, about those different ones, too. So, great. Good. Yeah. Well, I don't see anything else on the agenda other than we'll be back uh, next Thursday. That's uh, June 24th. Don't forget, Ron is going to. Well, I don't know, you're going to be recording. Probably, I'll be I don't recording. Think it's live. I don't know when it's going to air. Yeah. 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 Monday, June 21st. So uh, um, he'll be doing that, and uh, we'll be back here on All About Wine on June 24th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, and we do have a guest. Worldwide. Too. Yes, we do have a a guest, and um, stay tuned to social media, and we'll. 
tell you more about it when the time comes. So yeah, and thank you all. Happy Father's oh, Day, Daddy, Daddy's grandpas, all the all the fathers out there. Happy Father's Day. That's coming up on Sunday. So uh, hope yeah. you all uh, have yourself a wonderful day. And uh, everybody trying to think of a present for Dad, wine. Always, always a good present. Wine. Works. That's right. So, uh, drink up and toast, share a glass, whatever you got to do. Um, right. We'll see you all next week. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Be safe. Thank you. We'll see you. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archived shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly and We'll see you next time on All About Wine. Thank you. Thank you. Over.